dark and quiet hallway of the Fay Lower School, One School, One Book 2.0 is proud to present Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls, read and produced by Lainey Schuster. Chapter 13 Coming up to the tree, I could see it was a huge bur oak. It wasn't tall. It was just the opposite, rather low and squatty. The top was a thick mass of large limbs and it hadn't shed all of its leaves yet. It stood by itself in an old field. There were no other trees within 50 yards of it. About 15 feet to the left were the remains of a barbed wire fence. An old gate hung by one rusty hinge from a large corner corner post. I could tell that at one time a house had stood close by. Reuben saw me looking around. A long time ago, some Indians lived here and farmed these lands, he said. I walked around the tree looking for the coon, but could see very little in the dark shadows. Ain't no use to look, Reuben said. He won't be there. Rainey spoke up. This ain't the first time we've been to this tree, he said. Reuben told Rainey to shut up. You talk too much, he said. In a whining voice, Rainey said, Reuben... You know the coon ain't in that tree. Make him pay off and let's go home. I'm getting tired. I told Reuben I was going to climb the tree. Go ahead, he said. Won't do you any good. The tree was easy to climb. I looked all over it, on each limb and in every dark place. I looked for a hollow. The ghost coon wasn't there. I climbed back down, scolded old Dan to stop his loud bawling and looked for little Ann. I saw her far up on the old fence row, sniffing and running here and there. I knew the ghost coon had pulled a real trick, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Little Ann had never yet barked treed. I knew if the coon was in the tree, she wouldn't still be searching for a trail. Old Dan started working again. My dogs covered the field. They circled and circled. They ran up and down the barbed wire fence on both sides. I knew the coon hadn't walked the barbed wire. Ghost or no ghost, he couldn't do that. I walked over to the old gate and looked around. I sat down and stared up into the tree. Little Ann came to me. Old Dan, giving up his search, came back to the tree and bawled a couple of times. I scolded him again. Reuben came over. Leering at me, he said, you give up? I didn't answer. Little Ann once again started searching for the lost trail. Old Dan went to help her. Rainy said, I told you that you couldn't tree the ghost coon. Why don't you pay off so we can go home? I told him I hadn't given up. My dogs were still hunting. When they gave up, I would too. Reuben said, well, we're not going to stay here all night. Looking back to the tree, I thought perhaps I'd overlooked something. I told Reuben I was going to climb it again. He laughed. Go ahead. Won't do you any good. You climbed it once. Ain't you satisfied? No, I'm not satisfied, I said. I just don't believe in ghost coons. Reuben said, I don't believe in ghosts either, but facts is facts. To tell you the truth, I've climbed that tree a dozen times, and there just ain't no place in it for a coon to hide. Rainey spoke up. Our old blue hound has treed the ghost coon in this tree more times than one. Maybe you two don't believe in ghosts, but I do. Why don't you pay off so we can get away from here? I'll climb it one more time, I said. 
If I can't find him, I'll pay off. Climbing up again, I searched and searched. When I got through, I knew the ghost coon wasn't in that tree. When I came down, I saw my dogs had given up. They took the last resistance out of me. I knew if they couldn't find the ghost coon, I couldn't. Digging the two $1 bits up, bills out of my pocket, I walked over to Reuben. Little Ann was by my side. I handed my money over saying, well, you want it fair and square. With a grin on his face, Reuben took my money. He said, I bet this will break your old grandpa's heart. I didn't reply. Reaching down, I caught little Ann's head in my hands. Looking into her warm, friendly eyes, I said, It's all right, little girl. We haven't given up yet. We'll come back. We ne may never catch the ghost coon, but we'll run him until he leaves the country. She licked my hands and whined. A small breeze began to stir. Glancing up into the tree, I saw some leaves shaking. I said to Reuben, Looks like the wind is coming up. It may blow up a storm. We'd better be heading for home. Just as I turned, I saw little Ann throw up her head and whine. Her body grew stiff and taut. I watched her. She was testing the wind. I knew she'd scented something in the breeze. Stiff-legged, head high in the air, she started walking toward the tree. Almost there, she turned back and stopped. I knew she'd caught the scent, but could only catch it when a breeze came. Looking at Reuben, I said, I haven't lost that two dollars yet. Another breeze drifted out of the river bottoms. Little Ann caught the scent again. Slowly she walked straight to the large gate post, reared up on it with her front feet, and bawled the most beautiful tree bark I had ever heard in my life. Old Dan, not understanding why Little Ann was bawling, stood and looked. He walked over to the post, reared up on it, and sniffed. Then, raising his head, he shook the dead leaves in the burr oak tree with his deep voice. I looked at Rainy. Laughing, I said, there's your ghost coon. Now, what do you think of my dogs? For once, he made no reply. Going over to the post, I saw it was a large black locust put there many years ago to hang the gate. Looking up at the tree, I saw how the ghost coon had pulled his trick. One large, long limb ran out and hung directly over the gate. It was a drop of a good 12 feet from the branch to the top of the gatepost. But I knew we weren't after an ordinary coon. This was the ghost coon. I said to Reuben, boost me up and I'll see if the post is hollow. After breaking off a long gypsum weed to use as a prod, I got up on Reuben's shoulder and he raised me up. The post was hollow. Not knowing how far down the hole went, I started to switch down. About halfway, I felt something soft. I gave it a hard jab. I heard him coming. He boiled out right in my face. I let go of everything. Hitting the ground, I rolled over on my back and looked up. For a split second, the ghost coon stayed on top of the post, and then he jumped. My dogs were on him the instant he hit the ground. The fight was on. I knew the coon didn't have a chance as he wasn't in the waters of the river. He didn't give up easily, even though he was on dry land. He was fighting for his life, and a good account he gave. He fought his way to freedom and made it back to the bur oak tree. 
He was a good feet up the side when old Dan, leaping high in the air, caught him and pulled him back down. At the foot of the tree, the fight went on. Again, the ghost coon fought his way free. This time he made it and disappeared in the dark shadows of the tree. Old Dan was furious. Never before had I seen a coon get away from him. I told Reuben I would climb up and run him out. As I started climbing, I saw little Ann go to one side and old Dan to the other. My dogs would never stay together when they'd treat a coon, so that any way he left a tree, he was met by one of them. About halfway up, far out on a limb, I found the ghost coon. As I started toward him, toward him my dog start, stopped bawling. I heard something I'd heard many times. The sound was like the cry of a small baby. It was the cry of a ringtail coon when he knows it is the end of the trail. I never liked to hear this cry, but it was all in the game, the hunter and the hunted. As I sat there on the limb looking at the old fellow, he cried again. Something came over me. I didn't want to kill him. I hollered down and told Reuben I didn't want to kill the ghost coon. He hollered back. Are you crazy? I told him I wasn't crazy. I just didn't want to kill him. I climbed down. Reuben was mad. He said, what's the matter with you? Nothing, I told him. I just don't have the heart to kill the coon. I told him there were plenty more. Why kill him? He had lived here a long time, and more than one hunter had listened to the voices of his hounds bawling on his trail. Rainey said, he's chicken-livered, that's what it is. I didn't like that, but not wanting to argue, I didn't say anything. Reuben said, I'll go up and run him out. I won't let my dogs kill him, I said. Reuben glared at me. I'm going up and run that coon out, he said. If you stop your dogs, I'm going to beat you half to death. Do it anyway, Reuben, Rainey said. I've got a good mind to, said Reuben. Just as Reuben started to climb the tree, old Dan growled. He was staring into the darkness. Something was coming. What's that? I asked. I don't know, Reuben said. Don't sound like anything I ever heard. It's ghosts, Rainey said. Let's get away from here. An animal was coming out of the darkness. It was walking slowly in an odd way, as if it were walking sideways. The hair on the back of my neck stood straight out. As the animal came closer, Rainey said, Why, it's old Blue. How did he get loose? It was a big blue tick hound. Around his neck was a piece of rope about three feet long. One could see that the rope had been gnawed in two. The frayed end had become entangled in a fair-sized dead limb. Dragging the limb was what made the dog look so odd. I felt much better when I found out what it was. The blue tick hound was just like the Pritchards, mean and ugly. He was a big dog, tall and heavy. His chest was thick and solid. He came up growling. The hair on his back was standing straight up. He walked stiff-legged around old Dan, showing his teeth. I told Rainey he'd better get a hold of his dog or there was sure to be a fight. You better get a hold of your dog, he said. I'm not worried about old Blue. He can take care of himself. I said no more. Don't make no difference now whether you kill the ghost coon or not, Reuben said. Old Blue will take care of him. 
I knew the killing of the the coon was out of my control, but I didn't want to see him die. I said to Reuben, just give me back my two dollars and I'll go home. I can't keep you from killing him, but I don't have to stay and see it. Reuben, don't give him the money, Rainey said. He ain't killed that ghost coon. That's right, Reuben said. You ain't, and I wouldn't let you now even if you wanted to. I told them my dogs had treed the ghost coon, and that was the bet, to tree the ghost coon. No, it wasn't, Reuben said. You said you would kill him. It was no such thing, I said. I've done all I said I would. Reuben walked up in front of me. He said, I ain't going to give you the money. You didn't win it fair. Now what are you going to do about it? I looked into his mean eyes. I started to make some reply, but decided against it. He saw my hesitation and said, You better get your dogs and get out of here before you get whipped. In a loud voice, Rainey said, Bloody his nose, Reuben. I was scared. I couldn't whip Reuben. He was too big for me. I started to learn to turn and leave when I thought of what my grandfather had told them. You'd better remember what my grandpa said, I reminded them. He'll do just what he said he would. Reuben didn't hit me. He just grabbed me and with his brute strength threw me on the ground. He had me on my back with my arms outstretched. He had a knee on each arm. I'd made no effort to fight back. I was scared. If you say one word to your grandpa about this, Reuben said, I'll catch you hunting some night and take my knife to you. Looking up into his ugly face, I knew he would do just what he said. I told him to let me up and I would go and not say anything to anyone. Don't let him up, Reuben, Rainey said. Beat the hell out of him or hold him and let me do it. Just then I heard growling and a commotion off to one side. The blue hound had finally gotten a fight out of old Dan. Turning my head sideways, I could see them standing on their hind legs, tearing and slashing at each other. The weight of the big hound pushed old Dan over. I told Reuben to let me up so we could stop the fight. He laughed. While my dog is whipping yours, I think I'll just work you over a little. So saying, he jerked my cap off and started whipping me in the face with it. I heard Rainy yell, Reuben, they're killing old Blue. Reuben jumped up off me. I clambered up and looked over to the fight. What I saw thrilled me. Faithful little Anne, girl though she was, had gone to the assistance of old Dan. I knew my dogs were very close to each other. Everything they did was done as a combination, but I never expected this. It is a rare occasion for a girl dog to fight another dog but fight she did. I could see that little Anne's jaws were glued to the throat of the big hound. She would never loosen that deadly hold until the last breath of life was gone. Old Dan was tearing and slashing at the soft belly. I knew the destruction his long, sharp teeth were causing. Again, Rainy yelled, Reuben, they're killing him. They're killing old Blue. Do something quick. Reuben started over to one side, grabbed my axe from the ground, and said in a loud voice, I'll kill them damn hounds. At the thought of what he was going to do with the axe, I screamed and ran for my dogs. Reuben was about ten feet ahead of me, bent over, running with the axe held out in front of him. I knew I could never get to them in time. I was screaming, No, Reuben, no! 
I saw the small stick when it whipped up from the ground. As if it were alive, it caught between Reuben's legs. I saw him fall. I ran on by. Reaching the dogfight, I saw the big hound was almost gone. He had long ceased fighting. His body lay stretched full length on the ground. I grabbed old Dan's collar and pulled him back. It was different with little Anne. Pull as I might, she wouldn't let go of the hound's throat. Her jaws were locked. I turned old Dan loose, and getting a straddle of little Anne, I pried her jaws apart with my hands. Old Dan had darted back in. Grabbing his collar again, I pulled them off to one side. The blue hound lay where he was. I thought perhaps he was already dead, and then I saw him move a little. Still holding my dogs by their collars, I looked back. I couldn't understand what I saw. Reuben was lying where he had fallen. His back was toward me, and his body was bent in a U-shape. Rainy was standing on the other side of him, staring down. I hollered and asked Rainy, what's the matter? He didn't answer. He just stood as though in a trance, staring down at Reuben. I hollered again. He didn't answer. I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't turn my dogs loose. They would go for the for the hound again. Again, I hollered at Rainy, asking him to come and help me. He neither moved nor answered. I had to do something. Looking around, my glance fell on the old barbed wire fence. I led my dogs to it. Holding onto their collars with one hand, I worked a rusty barbed wire backwards and forwards against a staple until it broke. Running the end of it under their collars, I tied them up. They made two or three lunges toward the hound, but the wire held. I walked over and stopped at Rainey's side. I again asked, what's the matter? He said not a word. I could see that Rainey was paralyzed with fright. His mouth and eyes were opened wide, and his face was as white as chalk. I laid my hand on his shoulder. At the touch of my hand, he jumped and screamed. Still screaming, he turned and started running. I watched him until he disappeared in the darkness. Looking down at Reuben, I saw what had paralyzed Rainey. When Reuben had tripped, he had fallen on the axe. As it entered his stomach, the sharp blade had sunk to the eye of the double-bitted axe. Turning my back to the horrible sight, I closed my eyes. The muscles in my stomach nodded and jerked. A nauseating sickness spread over my body. I couldn't look at him. I heard Reuben whisper. Turning around, I knelt down by his side with my back to the axe. I couldn't understand what he was whispering. Kneeling down closer, I heard and understood. In a faint voice, he said, Take it out of me. I hesitated. Again, he pleaded, Please take it out of me. Turning around, I saw his hands were curled around the protruding blade as if he himself had tried to pull it from his stomach. How I did it, I'll never know. Putting my hands over his and pressing down, I pulled the axe from the wound. The blood gushed. I felt the warm heat as it spread over my hands. Again, the sickness came over me. I stumbled to my feet and stepped back a few paces. Seeing a movement from Reuben, I thought he was going to get up. 
With his hands, he pushed himself halfway up. His eyes were wide open, staring straight at me. Stopping in his effort of getting up, still staring at me, his, out, his mouth opened as if to say something. Words never came. Instead, a large red bubble slowly worked its way out of his mouth and burst. He fell back to the ground. I knew he was dead. Scared, not knowing what to do, I called for Rainey. I got no answer. I called his name again and again. I could get no reply. My voice echoed in the darkness of the silent night. A cold chill ran over my body. I suppose, I suppose it is natural at a time like that for a boy to think of his mother. I thought of mine. I wanted to get home. Going over to my dogs, I glanced to where the blue hound was. He was trying to get up. I was glad he wasn't dead. Picking up my lantern, I thought of my axe. I left it. I didn't care if I never saw it again. Knowing I couldn't turn my dogs loose, I broke off enough of the wire to lead them. As I passed under the branches of the burr oak tree, I looked up into the dark foliage. I could see the bright eyes of the ghost coon. Everything that had happened on this terrible night was because of his very existence, but it wasn't his fault. I also knew he was a silent witness to the horrible scene. Behind me lay the still body of a young boy. On my left, a blue tick hound lay torn and bleeding. Even after all that had happened, I could feel no hatred for the ghost coon and was not sorry I had let him live. Arriving home, I awakened my mother and father. Starting at my grandfather's mill, I told everything that had happened. I left nothing out. My mother had started crying long before I'd completed my story. Papa said nothing, just sat and listened. When I'd finished, he kept staring down at the floor in deep thought. I could hear the sobbing of my mother in the silence. I walked over to her. She put her arms around me and said, my poor little boy. Getting to his feet, Papa reached for his coat and hat. Mama asked him where I was going. Well, I'll have to go up there, he said. I'm going to get Grandpa, for he's the only man in the country that has authority to move the body. Looking at me, he said, You go across the river and get old man Lowry, and you may as well go up and tell the Bufords, too. Tell them to meet us at your grandfather's place. I hurried to carry the sad message. The following day was a nasty one. A slow, cold drizzle had set in. Feeling trapped indoors, I prowled from room to room. I couldn't understand why my father hadn't come back from the Pritchards. I sat by the window and watched the road. Understanding my feelings, Mama said, Billy, I wouldn't worry. He'll be back before long. It takes time for things like that. I know, I said, but you'd think he would have been back by now. Time dragged slowly by. Late in the afternoon, I saw Papa coming. Our old mule was jogging along. Water was shooting out from under his feet in small squirts at every step. Papa had tied the halter rope around the mule's neck. He was sitting humped over with his hands jammed deep in the pockets of his patched and worn Mackinac. I felt sorry for him. He was soaking wet, tired, sleepy, and hungry. Telling Mama 
Here he is. I grabbed my jumper and cap and ran out to the gate and waited. I was going to ask what had happened at the Pritchards, but on seeing his tired face and wet clothes, I said, Papa, you'd better go into the fire. I'll take care of the mule and do the feeding and milking. That would be fine, he said. After doing the chores, I'd hurried to the house. I couldn't wait any longer. I had to find out what had happened. Walking into the front room, I saw my father had changed clothes. He was standing in front of the fireplace drinking coffee. Boy, that's bad weather, isn't it, he said. I said it was, and asked him about Reuben. We went to the old tree and got Reuben's body, Papa said. We were on our way back to the Pritchards when we met them. They were just this side of their place. They had started to look for him. Rainy had been so dazed when he got home, they couldn't make out what he was trying to tell them, but they knew it must have been something bad. They wanted to know what had happened. I did my best to explain the accident. It hit old man Pritchard pretty hard. I felt sorry for him. Mama asked how Mrs. Pritchard was taking it. Papa said he didn't know as he never did get to see any of the women folk. He said they were the funniest bunch he'd ever seen. He couldn't understand them. There wasn't one tear shed that he could see. All of the men had stayed out at the barn. They never had been invited for a cup of coffee or anything. Mama asked when they were to have the funeral. They have their own graveyard right there on the place, Papa said. Old man Pritchard said they would take care of everything and didn't want to bother people. He said it was too far for anyone to come and it was bad weather too. Mama said she couldn't help feeling sorry for Mrs. Pritchard and wished they were more friendly. I asked Papa about Rainy. Papa said, according to what old man Pritchard said, Rainy just couldn't seem to get over the shock. They were figuring on taking him into town to see the doctor. In a stern voice, Papa said, Billy, I don't want you fooling around with the Pritchards anymore. You have plenty of country around here, so you don't have to go up there to hunt. I said I wasn't. I felt bad about the death of Reuben, didn't feel like hunting, and kept having bad dreams. I couldn't forget the way he'd looked at me just before he died. I moped and wandered around in a daze. I wanted to do something, but didn't know what it was. I explained my feelings to my mother. She said, Billy, I know the same way, I feel the same way, and would like to do something to help, but I guess there's nothing we can do. There are people like the Pritchards all through the hills. They live in little worlds of their own and are all alone. They don't like to have outsiders interfere. I told my mother I'd been thinking about how dangerous it was to carry an axe while hunting, and I had decided I'd save a few coon hides and get a good gun. Boy, I just shouldn't have mentioned getting a gun. My mother got sitting head mad. You're not getting a gun, she said. I won't have that at all. I told you a long time ago, you could have one when you were 21 years old, and I meant just that. I worry enough with you out there in the hills all hours of the night, running and jumping, but I couldn't stand it if I knew you had a gun with you. No, sir, you can just forget about a gun. Yes, Mama, I said, and sulked off to my room. Lying on my bed, still trying to figure out what I could do to help, I glanced over to the wall. There, tied in a small bundle, was just what I needed. 
Some time back, my sisters had made some flowers for decoration day. They had given me a small bouquet for my room. Taking them down, I could see that it, they had faded a bit and looked rather old, but they were still pretty. I blew the dust off and straightened the crinkled petals. Putting them inside my shirt, I left the house. I hadn't gone far when I heard something behind me, and it was my dog's. I tried to tell them I wasn't going hunting. I just had a little business to attend to, and if they would go back, I'd take them out that night. It was no use. They couldn't understand. Circling around through the flats, I came to the hollow above the Pritchard's place. Down below me, I could see the graveyard and the fresh mound of dirt. As quietly as I could, I started easing myself down the mountainside. Old Dan loosened a rock. The further it bounced, the louder it got. It slammed up against a post oak tree and sounded like a gunshot. I held my breath and watched the house. No one came out. I glared at old Dan. He wagged his tail and just to show off, he sat down on his rear and started digging at a flea in his hind leg. The way his leg was thumping in the leaves, anyone could have heard it for a mile. I waited until he quit thumping before starting on. Reaching the bottom, I had about 20 yards of clearing to cross, but the grass and bushes were pretty thick. Laying down on my stomach with my heart beating like a trip hammer, I wiggled my way to Reuben's grave. I laid the flowers on the fresh mound of earth and then turned around and scooted for the timber. Just as we reached the mountaintop, my foot slipped and I kicked loose a large rock. Down the side of the mountain it rolled. This time the blue tick hound heard the noise. He came out from under the house bawling. I heard a door slam and Mrs. Pritchard came out. She started looking this way and that way. The hound ran up to the graveyard and started sniffing and bawling. Mrs. Pritchard followed him. Seeing the flowers on Reuben's grave, she picked them up and looked at them. She scolded the hound and then looked up at the hillside. I knew she couldn't see me because the timber was too thick, but I felt uncomfortable anyway. Scolding the hound again, she knelt down and arranged the flowers on the grave. Taking one more look at the hillside, she started back. Halfway to the house, I saw her reach down and gather the long curtain skirt in her hand and dab at her eyes. I felt much better after paying my respects to Reuben. Everything looked brighter, and I didn't have that funny feeling anymore. All the way home, my dogs kept running out in front of me. They would stop, turn around, and look at me. I had to smile, for I knew what they wanted. I stopped and petted them a little and told them, as soon as I got home and had my supper, we would go hunting. Join me for the next episode of Where the Red Fern Grows. Music